Hi, welcome to the Vine Church podcast. We've got a great speaker today. Hope you enjoy. Miss you this morning. Good to see you all. We're on lighter duties today, so the union said I can convene and preach. It's okay. Won't get in trouble today, I hope. Um, so we're going to start uh, uh, the next part two of a series we kicked off last week about the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, so-called, are eight statements about blessing that Jesus spoke to a crowd called the Sermon on the Mount. Eight blessings. What does it feel like to be blessed? Are you feeling blessed today? Are you blessed? We use that word quite a lot in Christian circles. Are you blessed, brother? I sign off emails by blessings, Alan. (laughs) We sort of maybe just use it too much because blessing is an amazing promise of God that we go all the way back to Abraham thousands of years ago who received a promise from God that all nations of the earth would be blessed through him. You can read about it in Genesis 15. All nations of the earth will be blessed through you, through this one man. And we understand that promise is really the central theme of the Bible. If you follow the theme of blessing through the Bible, we can see it coming down. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise to Abraham generations before him. And that Jesus comes and explains that same thing, that blessing. What does it mean to really be blessed by God? And when we think about blessing ourselves, and not too different probably from the Middle Eastern people that were listening to Jesus at the time, you think of blessing as health and wealth, I guess, success favor, just good days, sun is shining, you're blessed, you're in a time of blessing, and we want that for people, and it sounds great, we want to be blessed, but when Jesus came and sat down and said, well, what actually does it mean to be blessed by God? What is the favor of God that was promised to Abraham, and that is so important? that it's what he came to fulfill. And and early in his ministry is when Jesus sat down, I think he sat down, with a crowd from all over the the nation of Judea, surrounding cities and towns, just guys like you and I, just ordinary people. And he said, this is what it means to be blessed. And it was radical. It was not what was expected. We expected blessing to be what we're used to for these things I described. What Jesus said was completely radical and counterintuitive and difficult to understand, to be honest. And Stu Garrard has written a book, Words from the Hill, and many, many, many others have studied this sermon, this subject across the the ages to try and make sense of it. And just to get us in the mood, here's, if you're ready for this video, Leah, um, Leah's in the back there, in the AV. Uh, thanks, Leah. Here is uh, an ex- slightly extended version of the trailer introduced last week. Stuji, as we know him, used to be in the band Delirious, written and has got a project all about the Beatitudes. 
Um, so, what does it mean to be really be blessed? He's asking that question, I think. We're ready to roll it. Most of the time, life doesn't work out like we expect it will. We spend a lot of time struggling and trying to climb some kind of ladder to get to the top. But what we find out is that God is with us at the bottom and that he's, he's moving towards us constantly. I've been thinking about the Beatitudes for a long, long time. For many years, the Sermon on the Mount has been my favorite bit of the Bible. I discovered that the Beatitudes, first and foremost, are these announcements of God being on our side when we are poor when we are broken, when we are meek, and when we're hungry and thirsty for righteousness. I began by thinking this would just be a great idea for a record of songs, you know, eight nice, tidy themes. But as I've gone on this journey, I've found some amazing stories of people in amazing situations that are struggling to survive or they're helping the poor. When I think about mercy, what comes to mind is those last days on the street where I was believing the lie that I was going to die on the streets. I would hit the pipe and then I would look up and I don't suggest this for anybody, but I was cursing God and like, you know, UMF, you know, you see me down here. If you're real, do something. Blessed are the peacemakers. That means blessed are those who are fulfilling the desire of God to see humanity live in peace and to see peace and reconciliation take place between God the Creator and humanity. I was on death row for 27 years, but I got the biggest punch of mercy when the governor gave me a clemency and said that I would get to come home after 27 years. So today for me, mercy is driving down the street in traffic that will not move. Mercy is going to the pro board and every six months and saying, I'm doing good. Thank you, and I sign my little sheet. I'll be doing that for life, but that's still mercy. I think talking about the meek, I've discovered that the meek are different than maybe even our own definitions from the Bible that we think God meant or Jesus meant. I think people are underserved. I think they're overlooked, they're overshadowed, uh, they're under-resourced. That group of people, I believe, constitutes the meek. The whole thing is a big journey of discovery. It's music and it's a book, hopefully a documentary film. The aim is to tell the stories that helps us understand what these announcements were and are in respect to being alive in the 21st century. That's great, Leah. Thank you. Um, blessed, you can find them in Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the persecuted. How does that make sense? But we want to try and understand what Jesus was saying. How can you be blessed when you're facing these circumstances and these situations? And often um, we think and understand these as a list of attributes or qualities to be achieved, that we should become poor, we should become mournful and not rejoicing. We should be meek. And we covered the first two Beatitudes last week. We go to the next three. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the hungry and thirsty after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. We're doing these three today, and we're going to finish off in a week or two uh, with the last three.
Blessed are the meek. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Probably the most flawed view of Jesus that has transcended down to our generation. Meek and mild. We think of meek and mild today as the wallflowers, the quiet, the introverted, those who are you know, ignored and, and, and forgotten and, and weak and cowardly often. Meek is seen as the humble. Whereas in fact, I think when Jesus was speaking to the people in Israel, the Jewish nation, under the oppressive regime of the Roman Empire, tyrannical regime, taking their taxes, they, he was speaking to a people who were oppressed, who were under the cosh, and who could do nothing about it. And perhaps that is more like what Jesus was talking about. It's not about being humble, achieving a certain state of humility, but it's about those who've been humiliated. And we can identify with that today, can't we? Whether you're humiliated, humiliated sometimes in school, in class, in work, in your circumstances. We're thinking about those who are under a position when they can do nothing about it, the powerless, those like the Israelites of the day who are under an oppressive, oppressive regime. They're not free to worship and do what they want to do. Stu G says, being meek is not something we do, it's something we are, and often, something, it's something we are. Not because we choose it, but because it's forced upon us. When we're oppressed, bullied, and marginalized, when the power of choice and opportunity and resources have been taken away, when our very presence is ignored, and if people see us at all, we are less as the other. We are seen as the other and the less than. We can begin to identify easily today refugees fleeing from oppressive regimes for their life because they can do nothing about it. They are possibly the most obvious meek today. They've lost everything and can't recover it. But we see it more close to home. People in relationships that are abusive and can't get out. They're the meek that Jesus is saying, you are in God's heart. God is on your side. I am reaching out for you who are meek. And the message says you're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourself proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Jesus was in these Beatitudes changing the understanding of blessing from being material and physical to spiritual. He doesn't seem to be changing your circumstances so much as coming to be with you in your circumstances, that the invitation is for you. This is what is coming. I'm sure you've been keeping up to date with the news and, and the story that's not just the World Cup, but uh, much more dramatic is the, the youth football team in Thailand and their coach trapped under this mountain in Thailand. And as an example, an illustration of actually the kingdom of God, it, it, it's so powerful. The 
the boys, if you don't know it, um, we're just on an expedition, I think, 12 of them. I'm sure there's no significance 12, but there are 12. Between 11 and 16, uh, on this cave expedition with their coach, uh, I think, I assume a sudden flood came and they were trapped and they had to run. They're four kilometers from the entrance with water rushing against them. So in some places, 30 meters deep. They're a kilometer underground, deeper than the miners who were in um, the South American situation of 10 years ago, eight years ago in 2010. They're deeper than those mines. And nine days, they were in the dark, having escaped the floods and found a place to sit. Just kids with nothing. In the dark. Wondering if anybody has noticed they're not there. Wondering if anybody will come. Wondering if there is any hope. Completely separated from their home, their families, the light. Completely separated. And if we understand that the world is broken, that the separation that happened between God and man, between heaven and earth, that we read about in the Bible, is as deep and dark as that, that we are in that same spiritual cave, completely in the dark, completely separated from God and our home. And Jesus came to rescue us. This is why it was announced as good news. The first diver that got through to the boys on Monday. I heard it on the radio, trying an English guy, an ex-Navy SEAL. He got, he found them sitting on this perch. That's what that picture is on the slides. Can you imagine what they must have felt when they heard that they'd been found, that another voice had come from the darkness and trying to translate, because I don't think he spoke Thai, but he was trying to say, there are more coming. There are co we are coming. And that was the good news. That is like, can you imagine the good news they would feel? Oh, I've been found. But that wasn't the end of the story, as we know. To get them out is going to be incredibly difficult. I don't know if it's stretching it too much, but they are in a position where they don't choose to be. They can't get out. They're powerless. In some ways, that represents a condition of being meek. Move to the next slide. The next beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The message says, you're blessed when you're worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. Like I said, something is broken. Righteousness is about making all things right, would you believe? Fixing what is broken. Putting things right. It's very closely um, associated uh, throughout the Bible with justice. Making wrong things right. Jesus came and said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The Jewish people at the time would have understood it 
from the word shalom, peace, complete peace, where everything is in its right place, where everything is as it should be. And in his book, Stuji characterizes righteousness in three areas, global, globally, communally, and personally. Things are broken globally. We can see that. We can see that the world is broken, that there's evil, that there's poverty, there's suffering. And these boys are in the midst of a situation that isn't unique, that is reflected all over the world in many places. And the hunger and thirsting for righteousness, although is interpreted often as a spiritual condition, the more passionate you are for God, the more hungry you are for reading his Bible, for uh, praying every day. And we think about, will I, will I, am I sufficiently hungry and thirsty for God's kingdom that he's going to bless me? And Jesus is turning that completely on its head. It's not about a spiritual attribute to reach. It's about the fact that if you have some sense that things are not right, God is with you. Because that's where God's heart is. This is, is a description of God's heart, nothing less. This is what Jesus is describing. This is what's on God's heart. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. And we can see it possibly as those who are working tirelessly to bring justice in unjust situations in society. Many um, charities, obviously, Christian and non-Christian, working to bring justice. And Stu Jesus does a great job of finding some of the most poignant and powerful situations. We talk about speaking up for those who do not have a voice. The Bible and the wisdom of Solomon says in Proverbs 31, 8 9, speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. So the rights of the destitute, speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. That is the wisdom of God, the heart of God, to stand up, to be an advocate, to, to speak up for those who don't have a voice. And again, maybe an extreme example, but we recognize and we feel immediately for those boys that this is not right. It, we cannot leave those people where they are. These boys cannot stay in that cave to be left to die. That is unjust. It's not right. And we see the response of the divers and the communities and the, the people from all over the world to say, we're going to get you out. And the Navy SEAL that got in there originally said, people are coming. And we see the three stages of search, rescue, and bringing them home, as it's been described, being enacted before our very eyes. This is the rescue stage. Jesus came to begin the rescue stage. And like the, the boys, they're trying to get food to them. They're trying to get air to them, trying to get hope to them. And, and they're trying to work out how to bring them back into the light, to bring them home. And the, the poignancy continues as we understand that one of the Navy SEALs preparing the way, trying to set up the escape route, died on his journey. 
to rescue mankind from its darkness. Jesus had to die. And he did it willingly. And the tribute to this 38-year-old suggests that he would have done it willingly and that his colleagues are going in. And they say, the determination, dedication of Saman will always be in all of our frogmen hearts. Today, Salmon rests, but we will complete the mission just as Salmon intended. Can you imagine God's heart? You can feel it. What will he not do to get everyone out alive? That's the kingdom of God. That's the purpose of God. That's what Jesus is about. He's trying to get everyone out alive. Home. Together again. Out of the darkness and into the light. And if you have any sense of longing, and you do, and we do, God is with you in that. God is on your side. But it's not just societal. Jesus recognized and turned it around to understand that the real darkness is internal. He didn't really come to deal with the Romans. He came to deal with the Pharisees and the leaders of the time and to say to everybody listening, that darkness is in your heart. It's internal. And more than ever, we can recognize that and feel that, that things are broken inside us, that the darkness is in here. And Stu writes about this. Sometimes it's an intense personal desire for change inside yourself. The ache, you wake up in the morning and can't believe you did that thing again last night. The thing that seems to have a power over you, they can't break the addiction, that secret, that thing that just helps us numb reality and you just wish it were different, but you can't beat it. It's in control. You failed again, you can't fix it and you ache for change. And it's in that desire, that longing, that ache, that hunger, that thirst and that absence of what is righteous and just, not the achievement of it that Jesus announces you are blessed. God is with you. God is on your side in your lowest moment. When you recognize you're not going to make it on your own, Jesus is right there. He is on your side. That is the kingdom of God. And it's coming. Last slide. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. In the message, you're blessed when, you're, when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourself cared for. You're blessed when you care. You're blessed when you care. God cares. We care about these boys. We want them back together. Mercy is understood, is right in the middle of these Beatitudes. The four Beatitudes before, poor, mourning, hunger and thirsty, are described as the, the needs Beatitudes, the three after, the help Beatitudes. And in the middle of it, mercy. In the middle of all these things is mercy. 
And Jesus is coming, I believe, to say that God, above all things, is merciful. He's merciful. And we need that mercy. It's, we just explain mercy in the dictionaries as this compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. Stuji says, maybe the invitation to show mercy and to receive it is the key to what life is all about. He voices the voices that want to diminish you, and they are often the voices in your head. And see, you're not good enough. The voices that tell you you're really messed up, that you're worthless and you amount to nothing, these voices can be so loud. But we can quiet them by having mercy on ourselves in the deepest places, by getting up and doing the things they're telling us not to do. People hear that voice saying, go kill yourself because nobody cares about you. Go end it because you're worthless. Give up because it won't happen. That voice straight from the pit of hell. But we listen. Mercy. Mercy, of course, is the kingdom of God at the heart of the kingdom of God. Because Go on, Stuji says, because so often the first work of mercy is personal. It's when we realize we can't fix what we've done that mercy leaps into action. Church should be full of people that recognize it, just a bunch of <laughs> people that can't fix ourselves, but we need help. And we need to forgive ourselves first, and we will have forgiveness for others. The journey begins. It says mercy triumphs over judgment in the Bible. And to illustrate it, imagine the coach, 25 years old, taking these boys in, sitting there with 12 of them. He took them in. It was his plan. Would he want to come out? Face the mums and the dads? Sometimes we feel like that, don't we? Do we really want to own up, come out into the light before God, knowing Mercy triumphs over judgment. We've seen it on the news. Already the parents and mothers are saying it's not his fault. It was an accident. But you can imagine them when the divers come and the rescue's being enacted now. The divers are going in now to try and get these boys out because they're running out of oxygen. They're, they were going to train them to dive with scuba gear. They are going to teach them to swim. None of them swim. They've got 30 meters full caves of water to get through. They've got to try and get them out now because they think more water's coming, the cave might collapse, the oxygen's going to run out. They've got to go in now. The psychologist assessing the condition of the boys said 
the thing that they'll want most as they get through. And it is a five or four kilometer journey through this. They're going to have to double up, they think. Now, one Navy SEAL with a boy, then one behind, trying to get them through complete dark depths of water. By no means certain of success. They said what they need most is their mum. And you know, mercy, the Hebrew word, apparently is the same root as womb. Mercy comes from the womb of God. Jesus was coming and saying, this is what God is like. The love that you have for your child, as a mother has for their son and daughter, is God's heart for you. The very womb of God. They just need their mom. And sometimes we just need our mom, don't we? We just need that love, that reassurance, that comfort. That's when everything is all right. We might... We know when we reach our mum, we might get a scolding. We're going to be okay. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The Thai Prime Minister announced that we need faith. Because faith is the only thing that moves mountains. Faith makes everything a success. And as Jesus is announcing these things and and we're beginning to understand that he's on a rescue mission, that he's going to save us, the suggestion that God in our minds right here, right now, is in some way not good, is in some way not worth living for and following. God is so good we can't describe it. God is so good we can't understand it. God is so good we can't explain it and we misunderstand it and we think, how did he let that happen? And we blame God for the darkness and the trapping and the death. Stop it, Betty. His message and his rescue package. We need to understand what's going on in the light of this truth that we're in the darkness and he's rescuing us. And when the Navy SEAL comes and says, put this mask on, come with me and I will take you to the light. There is the gospel. But when, if you take the analogy further, you've been in a generation upon generation who hasn't seen the light, who hasn't known God, and they say, I'm going to make it okay on my own. Thanks very much. I'm not going to risk that journey out there. I'm staying here. And sometimes we understand the gospel as something too difficult, too hard, and we don't need it because we don't see we're in the dark. We've forgotten But that's why it's good news. And if you're sitting there like the coach, I don't want to come out. I don't want to face what I think I'm going to face. The answer is mercy. 
That's what you're going to face when you come to God, when you put the mask on, when you trust him to take you through the darkness. There is a light and a hope and a life that God is so good. Diminish every argument that says he is not good. In Jesus' name. Okay. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. I'm just going to pray. I think we should you join me. Let's, let's just pray for those boys right now. Pray for those boys in the cave. Pray for the rescuers. Maybe on your, coming through on your mobile phones, whether it's being successful or not, they've got hospitals waiting, midwives waiting, the families are waiting to try and take them out. And um, let's just stand together, shall we, and pray. I'll lead you in a prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that your heart is for those boys, as it we have a sense of that too, that you want everyone out alive. We want every one of those boys out alive. Everyone reunited with their parents, everyone safe. We want the coach rescued and that mercy that we talked about to be extended to him. We want safety for all those going in, trying to get the boys out, and we admire their courage and skills. Lord, make this a successful trip. May we rejoice together with you. Bring them out, God. And we just pray for ourselves and the message that it has for us. The message that you brought to understand what it means to be blessed by God. Not about our circumstances, but that wherever we're at, you're coming to rescue us. You're coming to be with us. You're coming to help us through. You're going to take us from the dark rock, through the tunnels, through the waters, to the light, to bring us home again, to be with the Father in heaven. That is your purpose. That is your journey. Lord God, I just pray for every soul here that we will all get out alive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.